This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. The Steelers are talking a great deal, of course, about forcing more turnovers. They've not done a good job of that. Only 12 in 11 games. We've talked till we're blue in the face about their turnover ratio, minus 7 among the worst in the league and the worst among teams with winning records. The teams below them all have losing records. I would also say that the Browns are tied for number one in ratio. They're four, six, and one. So sometimes these numbers lie to you. I mean, here are the Steelers, right? Seven, three, and one with a minus seven ratio. But they would like to certainly commit fewer and create more. Mike Tomlin was asked about that yesterday. He said it began with ball awareness. Okay. But some players just have a knack for it. And could it be that this group of Steeler defenders doesn't make them bad defensive players? Could it just be that they don't have that type of player? Some guys have a knack for it. Greg Lloyd was a guy who could do that. I talked about him the other day. He took karate lessons. He was a black belt, as if he wasn't scary enough. And he would chop on a quarterback's wrist, cause fumbles. Yeah, he got a lot of sacks. Troy Polamalu had a great knack for doing it. That's why he played that clip. Deshae Townsend was a guy, even as a nickel guy, who seemed to get a lot of them. Ike Taylor, as we know, was a great cover guy, a very good one anyway, but he was like Roberto Duran, hands of stone. He couldn't catch the ball. Like coaches say, if a defensive back could catch the ball, they'd be wide receivers. But we're not only talking about interception, we're talking about force fumbles. Ryan Shazier was a playmaker. Interceptions, forcing fumbles. Remember that big fumble that he caused in a game against Cincinnati? Hit that running back, maybe hit him helmet to helmet, but he caused a fumble, big fumble at that time. I think the running back's name was Hill. Trying to remember, from Michigan State. In any event, doesn't matter. But Shazier was a playmaker, defensive playmaker. Stefan Tuitt and Cam Hayward are very good defensive ends. But how many strip sacks have we seen from them? Now, you'll take the sack. Causing the fumble is frosting on the cake. It's gravy. But if your objective is to create more, getting the sack is great. That's first and foremost. But causing a fumble while you're doing it, that would be helpful. Picking off more passes. I don't know if it's the defense they play. I don't think so. I think it's more that some guys just have a knack for it. Joe Hayden had a lot of interceptions in Cleveland. Now, maybe it's because they don't throw at his side. I mean, why would you throw at Joe Hayden if you can go other side and initially throw at Artie Burns and now Cody Sensabaugh? But he only has the one interception. And Cleveland, he used to 
get three, four years. Sean Davis had more as a strong safety last year than he does as a free safety this year. That's what free safeties do. They're able to roam the field, playing center field, if you will, and getting a quick break on the ball and making a pick. But that takes a knack. I mean, the first thing is you don't want them getting beaten over the top. That hasn't happened a whole lot this year. They're better at it. But it's not about the scheme. It's not about the technique. It's just about, to me, it's a knack. Some guys do and some guys don't. And outside of Ryan Shazier, they really haven't had that kind of defensive playmaker since Troy Polamalu left. Not just the way it is. So they can do better, but I don't know that they're going to be able to create all these turnovers that people are clamoring for because I don't know that they have the personnel to do it. The thing about this Chargers game coming up, and by the way, tomorrow we're going to be talking to the San Diego, uh, well, there it is, I could find a dollar again, the Los Angeles Chargers uh, play-by-play man. He'll be joining us uh, with Guy at 120 to talk about the Chargers. It seems to me, uh, again, when the Steelers beat and badly beat the Carolina Panthers, thought there is the mark of a really good team, meaning the Steelers beating up on another good team, that Thursday night game. And things change rapidly in the league. I mean, the teams you thought were going to be awful sometimes aren't. Teams you thought were going to be great sometimes aren't. But for all intents and purposes, you thought Carolina was going to be a really solid football team. Well, since the Steelers beat them up, they were 6-2 and two at that point. They're now 6-5 and five and in grave danger of not making the playoffs. The win over Baltimore, all right, they're 6-5. and They're in the wild card hunt. But is there a signature win for the Steelers this year? I would say right now, no. Atlanta, Tampa Bay, no. Cleveland, no. Cincinnati, definitely not. They may need to beat this Charger team to make themselves believe that they're among the best. I mean, I think most of us think they are. I think they think they are. I think most of the leagues thinks that the Steelers are. You know, before this winning streak was snapped in Denver, unceremoniously, the Steelers, at least in two power rankings, ESPN and Sports Illustrated, were ranked ahead of the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs have a better record. And they were ranked ahead of New England. We'll see what they say this week, because now they're half game behind the Patriots. But maybe they need to beat a good Chargers team on a winning streak of their own. I mean, it was snapped by Denver, but they had won, what, five, six in a row up until that point. Maybe they needed to win this game to prove that they are one of the best teams in the AFC and a legitimate AFC conference challenger and Super Bowl contender. Let's talk to the sarcastic Sword. Hello, Sword. Hey, Stan. How you doing? Good. Good. That's a tough one to swallow for sure. Uh, I don't know. I think Denver played a very solid game as far as Denver goes and not many mistakes. That's as good as you're going to see from them, I believe. But the Steelers, I think, are head and shoulders above them. And if they played 10 games, the Steelers would win eight or nine of them and should have won that one by 10 or more. But, you know, everything in that game is part of the game. So it is what it is. 
I think uh, the defensive backs, you got a lot of moving parts and a lot of young guys. I think it's, uh, for now, I'm not too dissatisfied with the stats. I'd rather see them uh, tackle the ball like they've been doing a, a decent job with on receptions, uh, especially in the red zones. Uh, since they're so young and still establishing themselves, I think they have the athleticism, which we've seen in the preseason, seen some great plays by uh, Edmonds and Davis, uh, really athletic catches. And I think that'll come in time as they settle in. Um, I just think on the offensive end, you can't have three to five turnovers in a game and, ex- and expect to win them. No. Um, I, I did want to mention uh, it was a shame to, you know, it was a great play, the fake field goal and Big Al. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him again, uh, maybe on uh, uh, extra points uh, being used again, not by, uh, you know, uh, not Boswell throwing the ball, but I think uh, that's a could be a real capable weapon and, and a real tight game to surprise people with, with his background as far as knowing how to catch a ball. Um, I, I, I think they're, you know, they're in good position here, Stan. They, they got everything in front of them. Uh, I think concentrate on winning their division. I, I, I think their offense can beat any, anybody. I'm, I'm surprised, as you've mentioned, with Washington, uh, how he's not really progressed. I'm surprised how much Ben goes to him. Uh, in, in, in kind of key situations. And I'm also pr- surprised at Switzer's uh, use in the offense, how the contrast between the two of him coming in and really being utilized and, and doing a pretty good job at it. Uh, and, the problem and it, with it know, is, and it's not really a problem because it's a, it's a bonus, um, he's doing what Eli Rogers did. And people talk about, well, they should activate Eli Rogers. The problem is Eli Rogers does exactly what Switzer does. We're talking about a third wide receiver who can get down the field. I don't mean just, you know, in a fly pattern. I'm just talking about, you know, patterns, 15, 18, 20 yards to take some of the heat off Juju Smith-Schuster and and A.B. Right now, if James Washington's in the game, um, frankly, it certainly wouldn't cause any opposing defensive coordinator to stay up at night. It might not even prevent him from taking a nap. Uh, you just, you yeah, just, the, I, I, just him go. I just, let yeah, go I mean, you know, you cover him, but I, I just think that, and, and again, I'm not uh, giving up on him. I, I preface my remarks uh, on the post game show uh, and and throughout the first couple days of this week, and someone admonished me, don't give up on him, you know, and I'm not giving up on him, but I also think, hey, right now you're in the middle of this thing, and you got a chance, and he's the right now at this time. The moment's too big for him, uh, and I don't think he should get a hat. Doesn't mean I'm a big Justin Hunter fan, but I, 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 I that's why I asked Tom on that yesterday. I didn't get a response, uh, but I, I think that they got to go with Justin Hunter. Again, he's not a savior. He's not even very yeah. good, but right now James Washington brings you nothing. It goes to show you how really great, well, I don't know if great's the word yet, but Juju's progression, how young he is and how how he came right into this league like it was nothing without a step almost, missing a beat, and, and what he's become in such a short time. It's quite a contrast uh, between him and Washington. It does show you just how special and how lucky we are to have uh, Juju on our team here. No doubt, Sord. I'm uh, I'm going to let you go, or uh, we're going to get Josh Yoey in here from Denver. Um, thank you for the call, as always, Sord. Thank you. Okay. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Man, on second and goal. 
Oh, it's intercepted in the end zone. Shelby Harris. They had a little trouble with the exchange. He took the ball out of James Conner's stomach. And then, in the meantime, reared up and fired. And sagging back in coverage, the nose tackle, Shelby Harris, intercepts. And the Steelers' hopes of coming back here have just been dashed in a very loud fashion. Once I got the snap, it was just, it was, you go from a run pass option to hitting A.B. And A.B. was, he was coming. It just, I never would have thought that guy would have made that play. Did you think Brown was there? I, I thought so. I mean, I haven't seen it in replay, but I, I threw it to the place I thought he was going to be able to make the play. Roethlisberger said on his radio show this morning that A.B. didn't run the route properly, didn't run it flat enough coming across the middle. Um, probably never should have come to that Anyway, and we're talking about third down, what happened on first down uh, may have been an issue. And let's go back to the Jacksonville game where, frankly, uh, Ben barely, barely, barely uh, got into the end zone. We're joined now by Ray Fittipaldo. He covers the Steelers for the Post-Gazette. Ray, thanks for joining me. Um, A terrific piece in the PG. I've already told people to go and read it. Um, In general, let's just start globally here. What did you discover in talking about their red zone offense? Well, first and foremost, Dan, uh, the red zone interceptions are the biggest problem. Ben has four this year, the most of any quarterback in the NFL. And, and if you listen to Tomlin just uh, just a little while ago, they have to get that cleaned up, and they got to clean, get it cleaned up pretty quickly. Um, I'll also add in that uh, going from the shotgun and just going with regular personnel, um, it's working for a lot of teams in the goal line. It's not working for the Steelers this year, and certainly not in the last two games. So they have a great fullback in Rosie Nix. Um, they got some good tight ends that they can line up and ask to block or run routes. So I would like to see a little bit more heavier personnel mixed in there on the goal line. I'm not saying every snap, but I think they can certainly use a little bit of variety uh, when they get down there next time. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, they do it on you know third and short, fourth and short when they go for it. Uh, you know, one of the things that Tomlin said today, Ray, I'm sure you heard, well, you know, we do what the defense allows us. It would seem to me that based on how often the Steelers pass uh, near the goal line, that teams are set up for that, not necessarily stacked in against the run. So I, I would imagine the Steelers can't use that argument. No, and if you listen to, uh, to Ben's show today, Stan, um, I think he said almost all of those, or 75% of those calls, on the goal line on that final sequence were a run pass option. So it's like anything now. I mean, you you know, Ben, ben has the authority. He's been in this league a long time. He could change almost any play that he receives from Mandy Fickner, um based on something he sees. So, you know, a lot of these plays, you know, Ben is checking into, the, into them himself. And you can't argue with what he's doing in the middle of the field. I mean, they are just wildly successful with him. Um, as an offense going up and down the field, I just think for whatever reason they're bogging down, um, not so much in the red zone, in the goal line scenarios, once they get inside the 10, things just haven't been clicking for them. And you know, with the schedule coming up, Stan, uh, the Chargers on Sunday, uh, the Patriots uh, in a couple of weeks, and then the Saints, they're going ha- to have to be on their details um, to score touchdowns in those games because those teams um, are some of the best in the league and they're really good on defense. So 
Yeah, they're also very good on offense. So you're going to have to score 30 points. Chances are, uh, no matter how well your defense plays, you're going to have to score points uh, to beat teams like that because of their prolific offenses. I just wanted to clarify something, Ray. Um, the understanding is, I think the stats bear it out, that the Steelers uh, in the red zone are much more productive uh, with Randy Feekner than they were uh, and Todd Haley. But your analysis is from what, the 10 in? I mean, does the, yes. the, does the percentage, do the percentages change dramatically once they get inside the 10, let's say? Well, let, let me clarify. They are much better with Randy and goal line efficiency even though I think they're scoring about the same amount um, uh, as they were under Todd Haley. So, in other words, they're not getting down there as much as they were under Haley, but they're much more efficient, um, and they're punching those in for touchdowns um, better than they were last year. Now, the goal line numbers, I tend to look at those, Dan. Um, those are not readily available um, uh, with the NFL stats packages. Uh, I usually have to take steps to request those from the league. They do have goal line um, offense efficiency numbers, but I tend to look at those after the season, and uh, that's not something I, you know, I typically um, look at during the season. So there are numbers out there, but I, I can tell you undoubtedly their goal line efficiency is not number two in the league, just based off the last two games. They they just haven't haven't been good down there, and uh, you know, like Tomlin said, they they got to clean up. I you know. I, I, the play calling is one thing. I, I just think the turnovers and maybe making better decisions down there, too, I, I think that would go a long way towards you know, sort of solving some of their issues down there. I would imagine, again, if a lot of these are run-pass options, um, a quarterback, I mean, he wants to win the game, he wants to get in the end zone, but you know, left to his own devices, any quarterback is going to prefer to throw the ball. Um, I'm, I'm, I was talking with Tunch yesterday uh, on the air as he called the game. On the first down play, which was an RPO, and they threw the incomplete pass, um, James Conner could have waltzed into the end zone. Um, is Ben culpable for some uh, incorrect reads in some of these situations? Well, he certainly could be. Uh, he, he, when I listened to him today, he sounded very confident in that read to, to Juju. He said he had one-on-one coverage, and um, he just didn't put the ball um, where he needed to put that ball. Um, but certainly, Stan, Randy Feetner and Ben could be having that conversation right now or this week about, hey, Listen, I'm going to call a running play. Don't check out of it. Let's see what we can get, and then we'll, you know, we'll reevaluate on, on on second or third down. So those are always options for the coordinator. But you know, as I spoke to earlier, um, Ben has so much freedom within this offense under Randy. And I think that's a good thing because he normally gets them into the best plays. It's just a different animal when you when you get near the goal line. It's very very hard to score when you get down there. And I, I just think sometimes running the ball um, and running it from different packages might be a better option um, when your quarterback is struggling to, to see the field down there. I like the way he's seeing the field normally. I mean, he's seeing the field nor- uh, great normally for most of the game. He's just not seeing it well, um, you know, when they're down inside the 10 right now. Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette is our guest on Saverdown Sports. 
Ray, I agree with you a thousand percent. Uh, I've been saying this for as long as I've been watching football. Unless you're at the nine and three quarter yard line, first and goal, uh, to me, I'm I'm almost never going to pass on first down because if you don't complete the pass, then you're almost obligated to 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 pass on second and third. Uh, whereas you run the ball, you pick up half the distance. Now at least the defense is not quite sure what you're going to do, which leads me to the question. Do you think that they have lost a bit of confidence in James Conner based on the amount of carries he got, uh, based on the lack of production the last two weeks? Well, they shouldn't, and I don't think they do stand. I think their entire game plan on Sunday, um, you know, from 20 to 20, it was really good. They moved the ball almost at will. Um, you know, the, the Grimble fumble and the Conner fumble on that pass were two huge plays in that game. So, um, you know, I'm not going to fault them uh, for throwing the ball the way they did um, in that game. Um, you know, Connor hasn't put up the yardage uh, that he had, you know, earlier in, this, in that winning streak that they had. Um, but I don't think there's any reason to go away from him, Stan. Um, he's, he's fumbled four times this year. He's lost two of them. Um, that's not good, but I don't see that as a reason um, to not go to him in the future. You have to use him now. Le'Veon Bell's not coming back. He's obviously their number one back. You got to use him. You got to ride him. And if he makes another mistake, you reevaluate. But I, I just don't think at this point um, that there is any reason for them not to have confidence in the kid. I think he's played really well all season for the most part. Uh, I agree. I, you know, the one thing I do wonder. Uh, if they've not lost confidence in him, has he lost a bit of confidence in himself? Uh, maybe the game last week against Jacksonville, uh, they did a good job defensively uh, against the running game in general. Uh, but Sunday, they Connor was averaging over four yards per carry. It's not as though he were averaging one point eight and said, "You know, we can't." You know, they're they're stacking against the run. Um, I, and again, maybe this is ad, taking two and two and adding up to five, but the last two weeks, maybe that's just part of the normal course of a season, but those two games were coming off a concussion. No, and I agree with you. And I, I, you know, I'd like to point out, um, you know, when I talk about getting into heavy personnel down by the goal line, that doesn't mean you have to run into a brick wall if they're, they're stacking the line. I mean, you can slip a fullback um, out into a route near the goal line you could have your, your tight ends run different routes down there. You could even have a, a heavy package with, um, you know, someone like Juju as your wideout. He could run a pattern, too. So there are all sorts of different options that, that you could have down there, Stan. But when you have a fullback in the game down there, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to run, even though I think we both agree that, you know, that would be a pretty good option for the Steelers, given the way, um, you know, the past two weeks have unfolded for them down there. Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, talk about the turnovers in general. Um, we're looking at, you know, seven in the last two weeks. Uh, they were yeah. lucky to get out of Jacksonville. They they won a game they should have lost, and they lost the game they should have won. Maybe that uh, all evens out. When we look at the amount of interceptions and we look at the turnover ratio, Ray, I've asked the listeners today, uh, what's the bigger problem, uh, the amount of turnovers they're committing or the lack of the defense not creating turnovers, in your view? Well, I mean, it's both. But if I had to pick one, um, I would go with the offense just because I, I think um, Randy and Mike can talk with Ben and say, hey, listen, we're just going to be a little bit more careful with the ball. If you have any doubt, throw it away, and you know we'll, we'll live to, to, to see another day. Um, 
You know, Stan, the one thing that Ben said on his radio show, radio show today that was a little bit, uh, I don't want to say concerning, but it was, you know, insightful for me. Um, you remember the pass to Switzer in the back of the end zone that was picked late yep. in that game in Jacksonville, right? That was yep. nullified because of the penalty. He trusted the official to make the call. He said that first interception in the middle of the field that Chris, Chris Harris got, he was trusting the official again to make a defensive holding call because he felt that, that Brown was, was held back in his route, and he went ahead and made that throw. So sometimes if, you, if you're always putting your trust into the officials to make the correct call, I don't know if you're going to be right all the time. And it just seems like some of these throws, I'm not going to say he was lucky that the game didn't end you know, with that Jacksonville pick, but I don't know. Is that a 50-50 call? They seemed to huddle up for a long time there before they actually came to a consensus and, and decided it was right, and it was the right call. But I just, you know, that's one trend to look for there, Stan, is if you're always trusting the, in, the, in the officials to, to do their job correctly, and you're putting balls out there in the middle of the field, I, I think some of those are going to get picked. And I think that's also something that they have to, you know, sort of look at this week to see if, uh, you know, to see if that's, uh, you know, smart on their part. That's an excellent point. Um, uh, there was, they're going to miss some of those. Uh, I, I thought that on uh, the first drive, uh, Vance McDonald, I think it led to the block field goal, but Vance McDonald was held uh, on a play. That you, right. You're right. Yep. You, you cannot, you cannot uh, rely on that. I, I'm wondering about, you know, a defense. You want the defense to turn. Well, let me just get one more thing about the offense, and that is do you think uh, in a, on a lot of occasions it's a matter of Ben forcing the ball to Antonio Brown? Look, as great as Juju was on Sunday and he's been excellent, you know, you have to admit that part of that is because that Brown is taking away a lot of the coverage. Do you think that a lot of the interceptions that have been thrown by Ben are a result of him trying to force the ball to Antonio Brown too much? Well, if you just look at the numbers, I you know I'd have a hard time arguing otherwise. If you go back to you know the the other two he had in Jacksonville, that you know the one that Ramsey picked off in the end zone, and then the one diving great play in the middle of the field, yeah. Um, but also, you know, I don't want to defend Ben, but. When, when James Washington isn't making plays for you and you can't go to Juju every time. I mean, they're targeting Juju, I think, more than they're targeting Antonio this year based on the coverages. But you can't go to Juju all the time either. either. So there are circumstances when you do have to try to fit it in there to your best receiver. But I think overall in the bigger picture, Stan, it's, they don't have a number three receiver right now. And I think that's probably a bigger problem then, you know, we were led on to understand because they were winning during the six-game win streak. But, you know, this situation with Washington and Hunter and, you know, Hayward Bay, I guess, it's not a good one. And they really need someone to step up there because they could use someone to take the pressure off Juju and Antonio right now. I, I totally agree. I've been talking about that since the first week of the season. Um, by the way, Alejandro Villanueva, uh, in case you're wondering, has more touchdown catches than Martavis Bryant, in case you uh, are, <laughs> are wondering about that. Uh, you know, I did ask Tomlin today at the press conference, will James Washington get a hat on Sunday night? Um, and he just said, oh, I haven't really thought about that. Uh, not that Justin Hunter is a viable alternative, but it, it just seems to me, and I'm not giving up on James Washington, Ray, it's too early to do that, but I remember them saying about Lima Swede, the moment's too big for him. Right now, right. the moment is too big for James Washington. Yeah, I mean, it, it's looking that way. He just doesn't look like he has any confidence. 
um, in himself. I, you know, I, I think Ben was right. I think if he runs under that ball, he runs up the sideline and, you know, he scores a touchdown. So you're right, Stan. Uh, Justin Hunter probably isn't a, a, a great option at this point, but they've won with Justin Hunter in the past. Justin Hunter made a great play uh, to help them get a, get a win in Cincinnati. Um, you know, at the beginning of this streak. So maybe they'll go back to Hunter, but uh, you can't give up on James Washington. He's having a really, really tough time now, but uh, they've got to go back to him at some point, and, you know, maybe it will be later in the season, and maybe the kid can, you know, come up and make a good play for you. Yeah, they sat him down uh, at least on one occasion earlier this year, uh, maybe to get his attention. Well, I imagine, um, I, I, I get the sense Tomlin never wants to commit about who's going to get a hat or not because he wants them to be motivated through the week of practice. If he tells me today that Washington's going to get a helmet on Sunday night, then maybe that lessens his incentive, whereas if he's not sure if he's going to dress, that may incentivize him to have a good week of practice and show that he belongs uh, in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, Tomlin's big on that. He's big on having guys practice during the week to to get on that 46-man um, game day roster. We, we've seen it in, in, in the past with other positions, and um, anytime you can have healthy competition like that during the week, um, even though you're only practicing really once hard all week, even though um, you know you only have that one opportunity, I, I do think it's good, and especially for young guys, um, to sort of earn those spots on a weekly basis. All right, Ray. Again, an outstanding piece today. Again, I urge everyone to go to postgazette.com and read it. I mean, it, it says an awful lot. Uh, you know, like someone once said, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. But these statistics aren't lies or damn lies or otherwise. Uh, great job, Ray. Thanks very much. Appreciate the time, and uh, I'll see you Sunday night. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. Okay, Ray. Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. The Browns surprised a lot of people, certainly those in Cincinnati, by really blowing out the Bengals. Uh, It's 35 to 20, but it was 28 to nothing and 35 to 7. Um, And after the game, former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson sought out Baker Mayfield to shake his hand. Mayfield shook his hand but kind of blew him off and then explained why he didn't want to talk to him. Um, Was he right to do that? Probably not, but then again, probably he was right. I'm looking at both sides of that. Plus, as you look at this bigger picture for the Steelers, it may not be the Chiefs or Kansas City, excuse me, Kansas City or the Patriots that keep the Steelers from a bye or home field advantage, at least in one game. It might be the Houston Texans. That's coming up next. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. First and ten, shotgun snap. He's back, throws along down the sideline, and the pass is caught, and that's Antonio Brown stepping into the end zone for the Pittsburgh Steelers touchdown. He just blew by the corner, and Jackson did not have a chance. Man, they're a formidable bunch. Um, they're an eight and three football team. Uh, I know that their offense gets a lot of recognition, and rightfully so. Um, you know, under the leadership of Philip Rivers and company, and what they were able to do as recently as last weekend. Chargers come in here and also consider this very well could be a preview of a potential playoff matchup. First round, entirely possible, at least as it sits today. Uh, but things seem to change rapidly. We're joined now by Jerry Dulac. Of course, he covers the Steelers for the Post-Gazette and the Pittsburgh Steelers Radio Network. Jerry's brought to us by Gorman's Pub in Brentwood, 
$2 Bud Light Aluminum Pints every Sunday, including this Sunday, in case you're going to need a little bit of a belly warmer uh, heading out. Although the weather's supposed to be much better. It's supposed to be in the 50s on Sundays. So that'll be an improvement. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good, Stan. Yeah, all the way up and uh, almost pushing 60 degrees, uh, which, you know, I'm already tired of this weather. Well, <laughs> yeah. you got January or February weather. Maybe now in early December we're going to get September weather. Who knows? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been crazy, uh, to say the very least. Uh, Jerry, when, when the Steelers beat up the Carolina Panthers, they came in 6-2, and two, uh, and they looked like one of the real powers in the NFL, the NFC at the very least, and the Steelers just dismantled them. It looked like that was their signature win. But since then, Carolina now has lost three in a row. Do the Steelers need to beat a team like the Charge to prove that they can beat the better teams in the NFL? Now, Stan, I think, you, you know, you take them as you get them. And, and you know, to make the argument, maybe the Steelers uh, beat the heck out of the Panthers and, and caused that three-game uh, streak. I, I, I mean, obviously, after losing, uh, in Denver, um, and and you know, Stan, that game very easily could have been a Carolina Panthers game. The way they went up and down the field, they could have routed them. That could have been that could have been thirty-seven to twenty or or whatever. I mean, they 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 were almost as impressive there as they were against Carolina. It's just that those turnovers, of course, hurt them. Um, but yeah, getting them back home, obviously, you, you know, I've always felt that the, that the key to a season. Um, is is proving that you can beat the better teams. Now you're not going to do it all the time, but I think you'd you'd like to have a winning record against the better teams to prove that you are one of the better teams. And and I I think that's kind of the benchmark because when you get to the postseason, that's who you're going to be playing. So it's one thing to beat up on on, on you know maybe the Browns, the Bengals, and and say, you know the Buccaneers and some of those teams. And look, you have to take care of business. You can't be losing to those teams. But at some point in time, you have to show that you can beat those teams. I go back, uh, Stan, I can't remember the year the Steelers were 12-4. and four, But they lost to the four best teams in the league, or three of the four best teams, and the other one was a team with a winning record. And to me, that, that was, a, was a kind of a, an alarming sign that, well, when you get to the postseason, it's going to be tough to beat those teams, and, and they didn't. I wish I could remember what year it was. Was it 2011 when they lost it, to Den Tebow? Yeah, it could have been. It could have been Stan, and um, but I. So yeah, I, I think, and especially when when you get them at home. Um, but I, I think they will rebound, and I'm not going to say it's going to be a Carolina game. I like the Chargers. I've liked the Chargers from the beginning of the year in the summer because I didn't know what to expect from Patrick Mahomes. I picked the Chargers to win the division, and you know what? They're hanging right in there despite that ugly. The same thing happened to them that happened to the Steelers against the Broncos. They ran up and down the field on the Broncos and took them apart, but they just hurt themselves with penalties and, and, and uh, stupid mistakes. Um, but they did the same thing as the Steelers and lost the game. But they're, they're a good football team, and they're only a game behind the Chiefs in the standings. Uh, undoubtedly. I mean, right now, you want to talk about the at least plus 500 teams. The Steelers are 2-2, two and two, right? Carolina, and they beat Baltimore. Um, but they lost to Baltimore and they lost to Kansas City, so they're sitting there two and two. Unless I'm forgetting uh, yeah, a game yeah, earlier. Of course, when when they played Baltimore, Baltimore had a losing record. So right, I, I think the first time they were 500, and the second time they were losing. So that's why it's always hard to quantify that, Stan, because you can only play those teams the way they are when you meet them. What's in front of you? you can't at the end of the year. You know, a team could be better at the end of the year than when you played them, or vice versa. They could be better uh, early in the year than late in the year. 
when you played them early. So, uh, you know, that's why, that's why it's hard to quantify some of that stuff. Undoubtedly. I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would like to see the Steelers play Kansas City um, the way that they've been playing, at least recently. You know, one of the, one of the big uh, conversations, legitimately so, um, the lack of turnovers. I mean, uh, they're committing too many, but they're not getting uh, virtually any in return. And I was, I was postulating a little bit earlier that, you know, it's not about scheme but some players just have a knack for it, and that doesn't make players who don't force turnovers bad defensive players. Uh, they're not bad defensive players at all, but some guys just have a knack, and maybe, Jerry, the Steelers just don't have those kinds of players who have the kind of knack to get turnovers, whether they're strip sacks, uh, whether they're forcing fumbles on ball carriers or interceptions. Yeah, first of all, Stan, I, I, I like the word, the use of that word postulating. I give you props for that one. Well, thank um, you very much, and I, I won't <laughs> use it again till tomorrow. Oh, I liked it very much. I, I think, I, you know, not everybody's James Harrison, not everybody's Miles Garrett, not everybody's Vaughn Miller. Um, you know, those are the kinds of guys who are just very good at that. Um, you know, they have, they have that certain knack for doing that. Tomba Haley was that way when he played for Kansas City. J.J. Uh, I, I, Watt is the same way. Um, but, you know, the only guy the Steelers really have like that who tomahawks, uh, you know, chops when he tackles is, is T.J. Watt, and we've seen him force, uh, 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 you know, several, several uh, fumbles with strip sacks. He had two of them in, in Jacksonville just most recently. But, you know, it's not – you can talk about takeaway, Stan, but it's not like you can say, okay, let's go out there and take the ball away yep. because you're just hoping to do that. But, and I think Mike Tomlin's point was, yesterday was that you can control the other part of it or to some degree uh focus a uh, concentration carrying the ball high and tight um being careful how it gets away from your body you can control a little bit you know turnovers um you know interceptions you can control some of that uh the the takeaways you know so many times stand it's a it's a lucky bounce deflected pass um you know the Steelers they they are just not a gambling secondary. They never have been. It's one of the reasons why uh, they've been very good this year with preventing long plays, pass plays. That 38 yard that Emmanuel Sanders had the other day, 38 yards was the longest pass they've given up in the past six games. They are a team that tries to keep the ball in front of you and tackle the catch. They've always been that way, but they've just been even better at it this year. And I give them props for that. But they're, they're not a gambling type of secondary that's going to go take the ball away a lot and uh that so they're you know their cornerbacks aren't going to have a lot of picks sometimes you'll see your safeties come up with it but it has to do more with their style of play uh that you know as to why they don't get um they don't get a lot of those turnovers at least in terms of interceptions i mean they talked about you know preaching that ball awareness kind of thing um and i asked the question of tomlin you know, I've seen sometimes when you do that, and you say we got to force turnovers, and they work on it in practice. Sometimes you get guys who are tackling the ball instead of the player. Absolutely. And, and I'm wondering Absolutely. if that's you know can be self. I mean, I've seen that too often because it preach get the ball, get the ball. Um, and I, I think maybe that would undermine. I think one of the most underrated improvements in the Steeler defense this year, their tackling is significantly better than it has been. I don't think there's any question, Stan, and I think that. I think that goes to the lack of big plays against their defense, and that includes running plays. 
Um, it's getting the guys on the ground. That 32-yard run by Philip Lindsay the other day was the longest run against the Steelers. Go back to last year. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but how many 20-yard runs they had against them, how many 40-plus-yard runs they had against them. I think it was like six. Well, they haven't allowed them this year because of that. They are tackling better, and they are tackling better in the second and third tier. So you're 100% right about that. And tackling the ball or trying to strip the ball is akin to going for gambling and going for the interception. Sometimes you you take that chance and you don't come up with a pick. And next thing you know, the guy's running the other way, and it's the same thing with tackling the ball instead of the guy. You know, when we look at what Joe Hayden did in Cleveland, it's a whole different ball game, obviously, playing over there as opposed to playing here. Uh, But he has had, uh, he's been their best cover guy, clearly, but two guys come to mind about this. Um, I think he only has the one this year. He had more per year, usually in Cleveland. Um, is that a product of the style of defense that the Steelers are playing? Is it a product of teams don't throw to him? Why would you if Artie Burns is on the other side? Yeah. Um, you know what's funny, Stan? And I, I'd have to go back and check these targets. Um, it actually seems as those teams are throwing more to Joe Hayden's side of the ball uh, than the other side. And, and I'm not exactly sure why that is. And, again, I have to double-check that because I'm not certain of that number. They did um, Sunday. They threw a lot to his side. Yeah, and, 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 you know, the Browns threw a lot at him, and I believe the Ravens did as well. But I, um, I, think, I think it's more, uh, more his style, uh, more the Steelers' style of play, the way they want to play. You know, it depends. I mean, if you're playing more press coverage and man coverage and they want you to gamble, if you have a good pass rush, I think that I think that's the biggest kind of uh, uh, the most puzzling aspect of this stand. Is the Steelers' pressure—it's not just the sacks. Their pressure is so much better than last year. They are dictating the pace with their pressure more so than last year, but it's not resulting in picks. Yes, we saw that happen um, uh, with Cam Newton when T.J. Watt pressured him and he threw up that silly pass that was intercepted by Vince Williams for the touchdown. We saw it there, but, but you would think with their pressure, um, you know, that's their entire concept. That's why they believe more in pass rushers than they do in cornerbacks. They feel the pressure dictates coverage and, and success in the secondary more than the other way around. And you would just think with the, with the sacks they, they have and the pressure that they generate that they would, that they would be able to get more picks. It, 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 it almost doesn't fit, and it's strange that it's kind of worked out that way. Uh, that's, that's a great point. Um, yeah, it, 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 there's a disconnect in there somewhere. Yeah, right, exactly. And I don't, like, I don't want to use the word culprit, but it seems to me in those circumstances, your free safety um, ought to be the one getting some picks, and he's not. Um, he had more as a strong safety. I mean, it's right. just a matter of Sean Davis is kind of feeling his way, and again, maybe being coached, hey, don't gamble, don't get beat over the top. Well, I think he knows he's the last line of defense, and I think he is feeling that a little bit. But I will say this about Sean, uh, say this about Sean Davis. They couldn't be more thrilled with the way Sean Davis is playing. He has been outstanding. And um, uh, the picks aren't there, but, again, the pass plays over the top aren't there. Now, that 38-yarder the other day to Emmanuel Sanders, he was elite, uh, a little late getting over. Joe Hayden, uh, you could tell by his leverage, was expecting help there. And Sean Davis was just a little late getting over. I didn't see where he came from to, to notice how much he might have been on a position or perhaps trying to recover. Um, but um, 
He's been he's been very very good, and and they are thrilled with the way Sean Davis is playing. And the last thing uh, Ben said today at his uh, his Wednesday media scrum, uh, talking about his criticism of James Washington deservedly, uh, and also A B for the route that he ran on the interception play in the end zone. Um, when asked about that, he said, "I've earned the right to criticize teammates publicly." Um, do you think that will sit well with the players, A, who've been criticized, or B, everybody else in the locker room? No, I think it's fine. I think he's right. Uh, you know, he doesn't do it all the time. The one thing Ben does is he takes ownership of his mistakes. There is no doubt about it. You know, it's funny, Stan. I talked to Bill Cower yesterday for this piece that I was working on uh, for Sunday, and, and, we, and I brought up, and he brought up that, that very point that Ben takes ownership of, of his mistakes, and he does. And, and I reminded him of the um, – we were talking about the Denver game, how lopsided it was, and he remembered the Houston Texans game. He brought it up, and I said, yeah, no. <laughs> Texans had, what, 58 yards offense or something, and they won 24 to whatever the heck the score was. And it was 24-3. Yeah, and I told him about the Jacksonville game, and you'll remember this, where Matt, Tommy Maddox threw two pick sixes to, uh, to Rasheem Mathis, if you recall. And, after, and I think he had another pick and a fumble. And after that game, Tommy Maddox refused to take any blame, did not put it on his shoulders, started blaming the wind or a bad route or tip pass. And from that point on, I mean, I, I, he lost a lot of people's respect and a lot of the fans' respect because he didn't own up to his mistakes. And I don't know if you recall that or not. So I do. My point is, my point is, is that Ben always does. And, and uh, I, I think, you know, he doesn't do this a lot, but when he does do it, you know, it sounded a little strong where he said, I think I earned the right. But the reality is I think he has. And um, I don't think, you know, I mean, whatever goes on between he and Antonio Brown isn't any different now as it was last week or will be next week. So, um, but I think James Washington will, you know, I, I mean, he, he didn't, you know, he didn't say he's a bummer. He has to learn to pay attention more. I think he was just saying, you know, pointing out, uh, you know, he needed to run through that ball, and the reality is he was right, uh, even though, boy, that was really an acrobatic-looking play, even though he should have stayed on the ground. Yeah, one last thing. You know, you heard me ask Tom on the question about should Wa- Will Washington get a hat Sunday night, and he said, well, I haven't decided that. And I understand why he doesn't say that. He didn't want to say a guy will or will not. If he says he will, then maybe he slacks off in practice. Oh, good, I'm safe. He wants him to earn it. It just seems to me, and I'm not giving up on James Washington at all, not at all. Um, I don't. Yeah, but, I don't think. But I, I he's not helping him. Uh, you know, and no, he's not. this, this, this. You know, this is you're in the middle of it now, and and you know now's the time you got to start stepping it up. And I'm not a big fan of Justin Hunter's, but I think he can give you more than James Washington at well, this I, moment. I think why Justin Hunter isn't playing speaks to what they think about Justin Hunter, though. That's the yeah. that's the problem. So, but I I will say this. Um, uh, there's no question they, they're, they're certainly not going to give up on James Washington. And, and they're not disappointed in James Washington. I'm not disappointed in James Washington, but I will say this. I am surprised at James Washington because both what I saw in the spring and in the summer, I thought this guy would be more of a contributor, understanding that he's a rookie, understanding that even Juju didn't start doing anything until the second half of the year. And I still believe that once James Washington gets a better feel for his spacing, where he is on the field, where the ball is, if you watch him stand, he looks very um, awkward, if not uncomfortable, trying to catch the ball in relation to where he is on the field. 
And that is exactly the opposite of what you see from this guy's athleticism in practice, in training camp. Um, and so I just think it's a matter of time when, um, when he gets a, a, a little bit more aware of where he is on the field relative to where the ball is. If you notice, he loses the ball a lot. I don't think that's a, that's a, a physical deficiency. I just think it's, it's part of him still learning his route tree. You know, in college, he played on one side of the field, Stan, one side, and that was it. And now they're moving him around. And I think he's just, I think it's just a little more difficult for him in the NFL than certainly it was in that offense that they played uh, in the Big 12. So I still think James Washington's going to be very good, and so do they. But right now, you're right. <laughs> he's giving them nothing. Well, Sunday is December. That would be a good time to, uh, to get, <laughs> get comfortable. Hey, he's running out of time. I would say so, and maybe they are too. Jerry, great stuff. As always, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to seeing you Sunday night at the game. All right, Stan. Always good chatting with you. All right. Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network.